Well, it's good to be with you guys today. You know, it's easy to sing those songs about God's faithfulness through the hard times till the hard times come. Uh, and then it's really, really, really tough. But I think we have to remind ourselves that if we really believe God's in control, then nothing's ever out of control. You know, I think every generation thinks things are out of control. And they are. They're out of our control, but they're not out of his control. And I think the frustration is we love to be in control. Uh, and that's nothing new under the sun. You know, Satan went to Adam and Eve and said, wouldn't you like to be in control? Why do you want to listen to God? Can you trust him? Can you believe him? And that goes on and on today. I have to give a testimony. Uh, first of all, I want to answer the question as, that everybody always has is, where's Kimma? And, and, and that's what I always get. Where's Kimma? Uh, nice to see you, but where is she? And so really today is a testimony because for uh, years and years and years, we've been through prayer and all these different things, uh, hoping and praying that Leanne would be able to have a baby at the age of 38. And Thursday night, uh, Liam, uh, Markwell, Taylor arrived. And so, yeah. And I share that as a testimony because it was years of... of um, doctors and surgeries and shots and all the different kinds of things. And, uh, but they're doing really well. So Kim is an official Kiki today. And so she's Kiki in whatever that means. Uh, but I'm glad to be here with you. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark 6, 45 to 56. I want to kind of go back and review. Uh, you know, I made the statement that it's easy to sing those songs about God's faithfulness until we're in the middle of a storm. What's interesting is today's passage in Mark 6 is just a couple chapters after the fact that the disciples had been in a boat with Jesus in a storm, and he calmed the storm. And they're right back in the same situation, except this time Jesus is not with them. So we don't really learn our lessons, do we? And we like to pick on Israel, you know, oh, they never learned their lesson, you know, and we pick on Peter and we pick on Thomas and all that. But if we look in the mirror, again, my prayer is the Holy Spirit does something in you today that what happens here goes with you the rest of the week. Because uh, it's always easy to feel God's presence and, and be excited about that at church. But what do we do when we go out there into the real world? So, so what's been going on to this point in the book of Mark? Well, you have to remember that Herod had killed the cousin, uh, a relative of Jesus, John the Baptist. Uh, and then uh, when Jesus begins to become more popular. You know, Herod panics and says, I think John the Baptist is resurrected and he's back to life and all that. And Jesus and the disciples, you know, were close to John the Baptist. And so there was a grief period of time going on there. Uh, he, they had just performed this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. So they're tired. They're very, very tired. He had sent them out in twos and they had very successful ministry and they were becoming well-known. They were becoming popular uh, and, and they were... Uh, exhausted. Um, he tried to get away to process this and the crowds that followed him after the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, and the crowds were still pursuing him. So this is what was going on. He's getting more popular than he's ever been. He's tired. He's still recouping, you know, because he was totally God and totally man. And he lost this uh, prophet who went ahead of him, this relative of his, John the Baptist. And this is the situation he's in. That they've had a successful ministry, they've had a popular ministry, they're tired and they're exhausted and he's trying to get away. So with that, let's look at the passage, Mark 6, beginning with verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out in the sea and he was alone in the land. 
And he saw that they were making headway painfully, they being the disciples. For the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at the Gethsemane, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. If you have your notes, you might want to follow along here and fill in the blanks that I've given you. But the first thing before we even look at the verse, I want to give you this first. We're going to look at sort of five takeaways from today's passage. Number one, being a happy Christian doesn't mean you're a healthy Christian. You know, like, oh, I'm so blessed. Things are going so well and all that. Well, that's great, but that doesn't mean you're a healthy Christian. You say, why do you say that? You know, the crowd had never been happier. They were fed. They saw a miracle. And they just wanted more. In fact, they were rising up and calling for him to be the warrior Messiah, the king Messiah uh, that uh, they had been looking for. And so he does this miracle. He feeds 5,000 men plus their, their families and all that. And, and, and you had that sermon last week. And so his popularity is very high, and these people are very happy. His disciples are very happy. They've just come back from going out in twos and having successful ministry, sharing the gospel and, and healing and seeing people healed and all that. And things are just really going great. So with that, let's look at verse 45. And this is our second point here. Point number two, when facing temptation, leave, don't linger. Look what he says here in verse 45. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Very first word says immediately, right at the height of his success, right when the disciples had learned that they could do things they had no idea they could do before, right in the middle of all this going on, he immediately dismisses them. Why is that? Well, I think sometimes we think that Jesus was tempted once in his ministry, and that was uh, after the wilderness, those three, and then he was never tempted again. But Scripture tells us he was tempted in all points like we, yet without sin. And I think this was, Satan had tempted him on, on pride and all that. Well, if you'll just bow to me, if you'll just turn the rocks into, into bread, if you'll just, you know, leap off this mountain, I mean... If you'll just prove, you know, you are the Messiah that everybody would like you to be. And we're told that was a temptation. And he quoted scripture back and he resisted. But I don't think that ended it. And so I think here, Satan is using the crowd and maybe even the disciples to say, aren't things going well? You know, his, Jesus' marketing and branding was really high at this point. He was attracting crowds. People were tracking him down, wanting to be there. So the crowds were growing. But what was going on. So again, immediately he made his disciples get out of the boat. I think he thought it was a temptation to them to get excited about the wrong things and to, to get excited about crowds instead of disciples and all that. 
So he made his disciples get out of the boat and go before him to the other side. And he dismissed the crowd. It says he had to run them off. And the word used in Greek here for what he did to the disciples, he commanded them, go, get out of here. But, but, but we want to be here. We like this. No, go, get out of here. So he dismisses the crowd. He dismisses the disciple. And he goes to talk to the Father. What do you do when you're tempted? And by the way, Satan is the lion who likes to devour. And so he doesn't come to you one time with a temptation. He comes over and over and over because he's seeking who to devour. Just because you dealt with something once doesn't mean it won't creep up again. In fact, I think most people struggle with two or three key sins in their life. A lot of stuff's not a problem for them, but those ones, those ones, it just seems like everywhere they turn, there comes the temptation. Again, Pride was something that Satan really tried to uh, bring to Christ and to bring to the disciples and all that. He made his disciples go to the other side, and he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went to the mountain to pray. What do you do when you're going through tough times? Do you quit praying, quit going to church, quit going to small group and all that? You know, usually at the time when we need spiritual help the most, we find it the least attractive thing. We don't find it very practical. It's just not very practical. I can remember a few years ago when T.W. Hunt uh, was at Crossroads and he was, uh, you know, still alive and all that. And he would always pray for everybody, I mean, hours every day, and he had a notebook. And I just thought he was the most spiritual man I'd ever met, just in terms of this man really prays, really knows God has that connection. And I always thought of myself as very practical. Well, what can I walk away with this verse? I always wanted to know, what can I do with this? What can I do with this? I always kind of felt like spiritual things were feelings, practical things were, you know, tasks and things you got done, and, and the two kind of worked against each other. So I, I saw a TW one time, and I said, I, I just don't feel as spiritual as other people. I mean, they just they get so excited about a hymn or this or that, you know, and I guess I'm just always looking for the practical. And I said, I wish I was more spiritual. And he said, well, you know, there's nothing more spiritual than being practical, and there's nothing more practical than being spiritual. That sounded like T.W. Hunt. I said, that does not answer my question. But as I thought about it, he was right. Sometimes we're so practical, we never pursue time alone, Bible study, prayer, those kind of things. Because, But I've got to solve this. See, me, me, me. I've got to solve this. I, I've got to resolve this. We want to find a practical solution, and spiritual things don't seem that practical. But his point was... There's nothing more practical than starting your day with a pause to look at your past in light of prayer and scripture and decide what you should do different to where you make better practical uh, application. And there's nothing more spiritual than doing the practical. If all you do is study, study, and, you know, I know this and I know that, but you don't apply the scripture. Because, again, information without application does not bring transformation. You know, you can go to church and know every Bible study there is, but until you apply two or three of those in your life, you're not going to see anything change. So it really made me realize that if I want a practical solution, I've got to go to spiritual sources to get those things that I need to do to apply. So if you want to be spiritual, you've got to apply it, but if you want to be practical, you've got to seek the spiritual. That's what Jesus did. After he had taken leave of them, he went on up to the mountain to pray. Here's our next point. As we go into verse 47, when you lose sight of Jesus, remember he's not lost sight of you. Isn't that what happens? We get into, into tough times and we just don't feel Jesus anymore. You know, we're so driven by feelings. I just don't feel spiritual anymore. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like church. I don't feel like talking to my friends. I, I just want to kind of pull in and enjoy my fear that I'm panicked that I'm going through and all that. And yet, it says, 
when you lose sight of Jesus, remember he's not lost sight of you. Look at verse 47. And when evening came, so this is at least 6 p.m., you know, by the, the uh, Jewish calendar and the Jewish uh, day and all, the boat was out in the sea, and he was alone in the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully. Have you ever felt like you were rowing against the wind in life? That you, you were trying as hard as you could, but you weren't getting anywhere. And it's interesting, Jesus watches this. He watches this for quite a while. Uh, the lake is about seven miles across. We're told in the book of John at this point, they've gone about halfway, so three, three and a half miles. They've, they've been rowing uh, for many, many hours, likely maybe six to eight hours by the time they, they finish this and all. So it says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and it was the fourth Watch This fourth watch would be about 3 a.m. probably, somewhere 3 a.m. So he, from the time the crowd leaves and the sun falls, he watches them try to row this boat across a seven-mile area. They get three and a half, and it's three in the morning. So he's praying, and he's watching. He's praying, and he's watching. And he came to them. Isn't that interesting? And he came to them walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. Now, there's a lot of people like, what does that mean? He, he went out there to show himself and just walked by them and ignored them. That, that's not what the term means here, that it was his goal to, you know, just ignore them and walk by. In fact, he made the effort to walk out to them on the storm to be seen to bring courage. But what happens when he does that? And so, anyway, he says he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. In other words... He put action into his prayers. He, he was praying, you know, don't let me focus on the wrong thing. Don't let me become someone who wants to attract a crowd. I'm looking for disciples. I'm not looking for, uh, you know, big crowds and all of that. And he would minister to the crowds, but he knew you're not going to build your ministry on the crowds. So often we want to grow a big church hoping 12 disciples will show up in the 5,000 members, you know. If we could just get 5,000 people to come to our church, 12 of them might be disciples. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus went out one by one, and he found the 12, and he discipled them, and they were able to minister to the 5,000. He wasn't trying to grow a church of 5,000 out of 12. He was trying to win the entire world by starting with those 12. But so often, we're like, if we can get a crowd, surely some prepared disciples will be there. In other words, instead of pouring into people and developing into disciples, we just hope 12 will come out of the 5,000. Well, here's the next thing. Jesus is looking for disciples, not consumers. Isn't it interesting that he's praying for them and he sees they're struggling and he makes an effort now to go out and to do something about it. But what happens when he, he does? But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Now, last time they were out in a boat and a storm came, uh, he was on the boat with them taking a nap in the midst of the storm. Isn't that the peace you want, that you can sleep through the storms of life, that you're not all panicked? By the way, that's good scripture for naps. I mean, Jesus took a nap, and so it's biblical. You go for that. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. Can I tell you that when Jesus shows up in your life, anytime in scripture God showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up, an angel showed up, Jesus showed up when they weren't expecting it. People were afraid. So we always want Jesus to show up in our life, and when he does, we get panicky. Well, I'm going to have to change something. Well, what's he going to ask? Well, how's this going to go? So, you know, don't be surprised that when you get the very thing you ask for, you're afraid. So it says, for they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately, 
He knew they were afraid. He knows you're afraid. You know, you're, sometimes you're afraid to tell people you're afraid. There's nothing worse than everybody knows the truth in you, but they're not sure you do. You know, when, when you're young and you get a new job, you try to show and prove to people how much you know. And all they see is what you don't know, but they're not sure you're not aware of that. You know, are you smart enough to know what you don't know? And so when you can admit, yes, I get afraid, yes, I do worry in those things, people are, oh, good. You realize, I think God's like that, you know. Do you realize the situation you're in? We call it confession, right? When you confess the situation you're in, he knows the situation you're in. He's not sure you know the situation you're in. And when you confess it, you're agreeing with him. Yes, I'm aligning myself with the situation. So they saw him, they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. This is similar to what God said his name was in the Old Testament, I am. Basically, Jesus says, take heart, I am is here. I am. Do not be afraid. Isn't that interesting? That uh, the Bible tells us that Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, came as a baby and it was God with us. Do you realize the situations you face, you're not alone, God is with you. Jesus was in the boat on the first one. Jesus was on the shore on the second one. But he was with them and he came out to them. He pursued them. He's pursuing you. But what do you recognize when he's there? He says, don't be afraid. In the midst of your fears, recognize Jesus and know that he's looking for you. When Jesus shows up, he usually has to tell us to stop being afraid. Do you, do you think God's looking for you? Do you think that he, Holy Spirit says that he prays for us and groanings that we can't even utter? The third person of the Trinity, you're being prayed for. His presence in the Holy Spirit is with us now. Do you realize God with us? When he left physically, he said, I will send a comforter. I will send the Holy Spirit. He's with you now. But we just walk around panicked as if, well, he's out there. He's up there. He's watching, but he's not with me. God with us. And that's how he brings peace. He says, it is I. I am is here. The Yahweh is with us. Mark doesn't mention uh, that Peter was called out to walk on water. This is interesting. This, this story is told uh, in, in uh uh, other other gospel. Uh, and we know that Peter says, well, command me to come out and I will. And he goes out and then he fails and then he's brought back up. It's interesting, you know, the book of Mark is really sort of the gospel of Peter is told to Mark. But what Mark knew, he really kind of knew mainly from Peter. And so what's interesting is in this book, if you think of it as sort of the gospel of Peter, that that's the source. He doesn't talk about it. Now, I wonder why. I wonder if it's because he failed or is it because he didn't want to brag and say, well, I did walk for a little bit. No one else even tried. Don't really know. Uh, but we, we have the experience of Peter in the water, but it's just not mentioned here. Uh, I think as Peter looks back in his life, he thinks of so many of the times he failed that he bragged, you know, I'll never deny you, you know, and then three times he does. And, uh, you know, Peter's like so many of us. He had big, bold faith at church. And then on Monday, you know, he was just all over the place, a hot mess. And sometimes we're like that too. So we don't know the reason. But look at 51. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. They've been in a boat before uh, and it calmed down. They've seen him feed 5,000. You're going to see in another week or so he feeds another crowd. I mean, they've seen him do miracles. They've seen him be faithful. They've seen him show up. They've seen that he is the I am, he says he is, but they just can't take it in every day. How long has it been since your faith was really your faith? 
Do you have to go back to the time you were seven, eight, nine, and was baptized and received Christ? If, if so, you know, shame on you. He's there with you all the time. And if you can think back, hindsight's twenty twenty. If you can think back to God's faithfulness in tough times, you don't look forward with fear. You say, this is scary what lies ahead. But you know what? I remember another time I was afraid, and I am was there, and he was in control, and it's going to be okay. They did not understand about the loaves. What didn't they understand? Well, they saw the miracle, but they didn't understand that he wasn't just a great prophet and a Messiah that everybody wanted to take over and destroy Rome. They didn't realize that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, God in human form. They, they just hadn't put that together. And I think sometimes all our salvation is, is, well, at least I won't go to hell when I die. But do you realize he's with you all the time? When I had an office at the church, uh, my favorite verse, uh, Living Bible Translation, I put it on the wall above my bookcase, and I'd look at it every day, and it was Colossians 2.6. And it said, just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him too for each day's problems. And I would look at that every day. Every day I would look at that. Just as you trusted Christ to save you. Because do you realize you believe a wild crazy story that a God you never saw sent a man you never met in human form and it was God himself and he lived a perfect life and he, he, he was born of a virgin and he went to the cross and he died for your sins and he came back alive on the third day and he's alive today and he sent the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'd, I'd, say, I'd say raise your hand if you believe that, but you'd all raise your hand. But boy, you know, let something go bad, you know, ooh, the price of gas went up last week. What am I going to do? You know, we tremble over the weirdest things, and yet we claim that we believe the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing is that God became man and lives in your life. And, oh, I have no problem believing that. that that's, I'm, you know, I'm a Sunday school kind of guy, you know. I'm a King James Version, you know. So, so often we take the Bible literally, but we don't take it seriously. Big difference, big difference. If you honestly believe that God became man, died and came back to life and lives in your heart today, why are you freaking out over all the other stuff? Why has all that got you so worried? Well, you know, you just don't know. Yeah, I do know. I do know. And so that's exactly what was going on. Yeah, we know that he can calm the storms. We saw him do that. Yeah, we know he can feed 5,000. Yeah, but what are we going to do in this situation? He's still the Messiah. It's hard to apply our strong Sunday faith on Monday problems, but that's what we have to remind ourselves to do. Well, where do we go? Look at verse 53. When you get tired from caring, don't get tired of caring. Big difference. You will get tired from caring. It's exhausting. But I will say there's no greater excitement uh, in the church than to serve. If, if you kind of like church or maybe you don't like church, you, well, it's okay. I get bored, though, whatever like that. I get it. You're probably not serving. I don't know anyone who serves in and through the church that doesn't love church because the Bible says you're more blessed when you give than when you receive. So if every now and then you get a sugar stick sermon that you're like, oh, I really like that, that's great. But when you serve, every day is exciting because you're giving yourself back to the Christ who gave for you. So when you get tired from caring, don't get tired of caring. When I retired, you know, th that's exactly what I thought. I thought, I am so tired from caring. You know, because when, you, when you're a pastor, I, and I know this is probably true for Justin, when he stands here, he looks out here, 
and he sees that marriage, and he sees that issue, and he sees maybe that person struggling with drugs or alcohol or that family that he knows is falling apart or the marriage that's struggling or, or just go on down, people with illnesses. When you look at a congregation and you really do care, it's exhausting because they're always on your mind. So it's okay. Why do you think Jesus was pulling away? He said, let's, let's get away from the crowd. We're not trying to build a crowd. We're tired. You know, we've lost John, and that's tough. Uh, you guys have been on the road in twos and done a great job, and we just fed 5,000. He was always tired from caring, but he never got tired of caring. Look what verse 53 says. When they had crossed over, they came uh, to land at Gennesaret and more to the shore. Now, this is not where they were headed. They were headed originally to Bethsaida. They got blown off course. They land here. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. There's that temptation again. But he knows what he's doing now. He's, he's staying focused because he's talked to the Father. He's prayed. And ran about the whole region and began to bring the six people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. Remember earlier in the book of Mark, we heard about the lady who was healed by touching the fringe of his garment. And that, that word is out. I mean, again, he's... He's as popular as he's ever going to be, uh, and that's going to really upset the Pharisees, as you'll see down the road. And as many as touched it were made well. He didn't quit ministering. He was still tired. You don't think he was tired after being up all night, after feeding 5,000, being up all night, calming the waters, parking it. He starts to minister again. Now, here's the thing I want you to know is it's okay to say no. Just don't always say no. No adds value to your Yes. No adds value to your yes. If you say yes to every ministry opportunity that comes along because it makes you feel important, wrong motive, and you will be exhausted. But when you say yes to where God leads you and no to the things you shouldn't, you'll have the energy to keep going. And yes, you will get tired in caring, but never get tired of caring. This church needs you to serve. This church needs you to step up. It doesn't need you to do everything. By the way, you know, many members, one body, right? Did you ever wonder why does God give everyone when they come to Christ one or more spiritual gifts but not all of them? Nobody has all the spiritual gifts or you'd be a one-person church. You don't need anyone else if you've got all the gifts. On the other hand, you say, well, I don't have any gifts. You're wrong. Because if you didn't have any gifts, the church wouldn't need you. What Scripture tells us is everyone is given one or more gifts for the purpose of edifying one another in the church. So you don't have all the gifts, but you have a gift, and you need to find it, you need to use it, and you're going to find the real joy in service. So what are our five takeaways? Being a happy Christian doesn't mean you're a healthy Christian. It depends on what makes you happy, whether or not you're healthy. Now, if you're, if you're a healthy Christian, you'll be a happy one, but just because you're happy doesn't mean you're healthy, because you may be chasing fish and loaves and the excitement of the crowd and the next free meal from Jesus. I don't know. Number two, when facing temptation... Leave, don't linger. We love to hang around and see if I'm any stronger with this temptation than I used to be. You know, hanging out at a bar is not a good idea for an alcoholic. It's not the way you kind of deal with it uh, and cope. Number three, when you lose sight of Jesus, remember he's not lost sight of you. We can feel abandoned, but we're not. His focus is there. Jesus is looking for disciples, not consumers. Jesus is looking for disciples, not consumers. The crowd loved to consume, but he says, no, I'm going to go out and seek the 12 that I'm going to pour into, and he walked out on the water. And then when you do get tired from caring, don't ever get tired 
of caring. Serve Christ through the church. Make a difference, uh, and you'll be more fulfilled for it. Let's pray. God, it's so easy for us to just watch uh, just enough news to panic over everything, that the world's falling apart, and yet uh, there's been plagues, there's been Christians burned at the stake, there's been so many tragedies through history that uh, there's nothing new under the sun, and uh, Ecclesiastes tells us that. And so I just pray that today our faith wouldn't be one that we look forward to one day when we stand with you in heaven, but that our faith is right now, right here, that we can trust you in the midst of the storm, that when you said, I am, we can believe you that you are. You are with us in the midst of the storm, and you're aware of our issues, and you care. Help us to trust that, not just in salvation, but for each day's problem. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.